Good morning, Faith Fellowship. I'm booming this morning. Woo! I'm going to bring it. Thanks, Frank. Good morning, all. It's funny, Seth was mentioning he doesn't know what to expect after 40. Let me show you my personal thing. Look at the size of this phone. Anybody else? I just got a new phone, right? It seems like the older I get, the bigger the phone I need to get. I don't know. It might have something to do with my eyes and the font size, but <laughs> I'll own it. I'll totally own it, <laughs> right? I had a little flip phone when I was uh, much younger. Now I need this big thing. Anyway, good morning. I'm so happy to be here with you again this morning. We're going to be uh, studying in Genesis again this morning, or I should say continuing in Genesis this morning. Lance started us off last week, and I already told him, I really tipped my hat to him. He literally did a great job of going through Genesis 1 to 3, where tons of stuff happened of importance, and he did it all in one message. I don't know how he, he did and was able to do it. I wouldn't have believed it unless I, I saw it with my own eyes. But there's so much. We went from nothingness, right, to a complete creation. And I really liked how he emphasized light, right, and light entering the world and how that's a theme that continues through. All the way up to the fall and what theologians term the proto-euangelion. Now, that's a big word, right? Some people went, the proto-what? <laughs> that's a big word that just means the first gospel. Right? So that happened in, in chapter 3. We're picking up in 4 after all of those significant events. And I'm going to explain a little bit in reference back to that. But chapter 4, and sort of like a DJ at a wedding, I guess, we went so fast through Genesis that now we're going to slow it down a little bit. <laughs> and I'm going to take just the first eight verses. I have 1 to 12 up here, and that's a mistake. I apologize. But I'm going to take the first eight verses of Genesis, and we're really going to focus on that. Why, you might ask. Right? Just about everybody knows the story of Cain and Abel. Right? From the time you're small, you learn about it in Sunday school. Now think back to that. Right? When I uh, learned it, I have all this knowledge that came in my head that I took as fact that really could be classified as an interpretation. Right? How many people in Sunday school saw pictures right, of the two boys sacrificing? Maybe these boys look to be about 16 years old, right? Cain and Abel. They have uh, two sacrifice pyres built. One has gray smoke, the other has black smoke. Right? not in the Bible. It's someone's interpretation of what might have happened. But our brains seem to register that as fact. So today as we go through, what my prayer is, is that we will go back to the Bible as purists. We'll look at the word. We're going to make some inferences, and I'm going to explain and walk some things through for you. But we're going to see exactly what God's word says about the Cain and Abel story. Before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your graciousness. We stand in awe at your power and might. Starting at Genesis and in the beginning and thinking about creating something from nothing. 
It just blows our mind, Father. And you had a plan throughout all of that, from creation to paradise to relationship to fall to separation to reconciliation and call us back. You, Father, are sovereign and had a plan for us before the beginning of time. Father, today, as we unpack your word, have us speak deeply to our hearts and our souls. Father, help us to understand it in fresh ways and help us to take today that peace or thought or point that will help rub away some of the tarnish of sin in our lives so that we can reflect your glory, your grace, and your holiness to a broken world. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let's start. Open your Bibles, if you will, with me. Turn to Genesis 4, 1 to 8. Now, every time I say that, Right, I feel like I'm dating myself a little bit, but Bibles come in whole kinds of different forms today, right? So uh, whether that's on your phone, whether that's at one of the pew Bibles in front of you, right, or maybe you have it on a PC or a laptop at home, whatever it is, turn with me. Now I hope also whatever the mechanism is that you have, that you have one for yourself and that you take notes, highlight if you can, right, put some notes in there. Because who knows at what time you'll open this back up and the Holy Spirit will use some teaching or a piece or a note that you took for your life. So I would just encourage you to have that mechanism, whatever it is for you, and take notes and write in it and make it yours. All right, so Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Amazing story here. And before I get much into unbacking it, I did also want to give a nod to the excellent jokes provided by Seth last week. Right, if you guys remember the one about Cain and Abel that he said, he said, how, often, or how long was Cain mad at his brother? As long as he was Abel? Right? Good joke. Well, I got another one for him, though, that goes back to creation. And that is, some scientists came to God and they said, look what we've just done, God. We've created our own man. And they brought this Frankenstein-type monster to him, right? 
God looked at him and said, yeah, but get your own dirt. Some of you will get that on the way home, okay. Sounded better in my head than it did there. Anyway, <laughs> let's go on. So we'll start right away at verse 1. What does verse 1 tell us? What can we get from this? It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Adam knew Eve. Adam had sexual relations with his wife. And I love the way that Genesis starts us off and says this, right? Adam knew his wife. It really talks about the intimacy, right, and the purpose of sexual relations. So early on, God is showing us that that is something where two people come together and become one flesh. There's nothing hidden from each other, right? You remember Lance talked about man and woman being created in the image of God together, right? Coming together in relationship, coming together in intimacy. Remember also in the back, right? It wasn't until the fall that man and woman realized that they were naked before God are completely truthful, right, before him. All in one thing, in that one relationship designed by God, they, in this one word in the Hebrew, he knew his wife. Right, it's the culmination of that. And then, right, she conceived and bore Cain. Now, one person here that we just learned this morning, or I just learned this morning, can definitely... Um, understand where Eve was at. That was Joel. We were talking about that, right? No one can really understand, though, truly just the joy that comes from that child. Any of you who've had children, think back to that moment, right? And it doesn't matter if it was easy for you to have a child or if it was very difficult for you to have a child, right? A new child coming into the world is one of the most joyous occasions. That new birth, the new baby, everybody wants to see the baby. We throw baby showers before the event actually happens, right, to celebrate it. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And Eve's first statement is, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Right, that I have gotten a man. Can you feel the joy in Eve's statement? It just jumps off the page at you, that birth and the occasion. Right after that, it says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. And I wanted to say something very quick about that. Some scholars, because of the way this is set up in the Hebrew, believe they were twins. And the reason is because that and again is tied to the same event, to the same birth event. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I've heard some other things. We don't know for sure, but like Lance said last week too, right? When we get to heaven, maybe that's another one we put in that book we'll have to talk to God about, right? Hey, can you show me Cain and Abel? Were they twins or are they the same? Regardless, they were likely born in very close proximity to each other. How many uh, Catholics or people who were raised Catholic here do we have in the room? Bunch of us, right? Maryland's kind of full with that. There's this old term called Catholic twins. Everybody ever heard of that? That's when you have siblings that are born less than 12 months apart. Right? Uh, my brother and I are eight days less than a year apart. They used to call us Catholic twins all the time. Regardless right, of exactly when they were born, 
we can infer from this passage correctly that they were born close together, if not twins. Now, there's a couple of other things that we should really look at there. One, that children are always a gift from the Lord. And to acknowledge, or Eve did right by acknowledging his will and his sovereignty. Right? Eve, after the fall, she didn't say, right, I bore the man. She said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So twice. One, she acknowledged that it's a gift from God. And two, she acknowledges that it was the help of the Lord that allowed her. Now, the event, the occurrence, and the importance of this fly right by every one of us here. Nowhere else was there ever born someone to two humans. This is the first event of a birth anywhere. There's no concept of this. Think about it for a second, right? All of a sudden, Eve starts to get a little chunky. Right? Maybe uh, Adam, in his new sinful state, said, yeah, you're looking a little chunky there, Eve. Right? That probably would have been the last time he said that, if he did. Right? However, as the months go by, right, she starts to grow more, and then, wait a minute, I feel something inside me. Right? Think of the joy that comes with that recognition. Right? Mothers today get all of that joy as they are, but back then... It was something so new. And then to actually birth the baby, right? Her statement and joy could not be contained. But I think there's something else at work here. And another thing that we miss, right? This is not too far from the fall. Now, I mentioned that big theological word, the proto-euangelion, right? The first gospel, if you will, through there. Now, that first gospel is found back in Genesis 3, 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Remember that part where God proclaims that? Tell me, if you're Adam and Eve and you've been thrown out of paradise, you know you messed up really bad, right? You basically chose a serpent and trusted him over the God that gave you paradise that you walked hand in hand with that was nothing but ever good to you. You rebelled against them, right, and did that, all that guilt you have. How much would you have been waiting for the chance for this curse to be lifted? And in Eve's statement, I firmly believe, is all that knowledge. Now think of the joy. Right? Her statement that, hey, I've gotten a man, and Cain's name, which signifies possession, right, with joy and thankfulness and great expectation. If you translate it literally, Cain's name in Hebrew, it would be something close to man from God. Right? Or maybe a better way that we would say it today is God's man, right? So it tells us and gives us insight that it's at least probable that Eve's going, wow, is this the man, right? Is this the one who's going to strike at the serpent? 
Is this the one that's going to lead us back into the Garden of Eden? Now think about how much joy. Right? They have no idea of how much time. We look and go, generations upon generations upon generations or afterwards, but they don't know they're living in it. Right? How often have you asked God for something, right? and you expect it today? Right? God is not Amazon. He doesn't drop that package off, right? same-day delivery sometimes. He knows what's best for us, and things develop over time. But they didn't know that. I'll give you a little bit further proof of why I think that. And that's you look at her brother's name, or I mean Cain's brother's name, Abel. That name means breath, vapor, or even vanity. In essence, it means extra. So while you might say, well, that's good. You've got an extra person. You're still acknowledging that God has lavished blessing on you and given you abundant blessing with something extra even than what you expected, how would you like to be able all your life? Right. Who's that? That's Cain over there and the extra. Right? It's a little different, but did Abel ever let that go to his head? Did Abel ever get mad about that? Right? We see no evidence anywhere that he did. As a matter of fact, just the evidence of his sacrifice later tells us possibly otherwise. So very interested. Adam and Eve knew about those promises, and was this that child of promise? But let's go on a little bit further. And now we go to uh, 2B. So Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of that ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. So there's a couple of things I want to bring out here. First off, what you need to understand is that God purposely put talk or words about their employment in here. I know sometimes people think, well, employment is only something that resulted as of the fall. No, God's holding this up here. This is after the fall, but he talks about these two areas of their employment. So employment and us working is also really important to God, and it should be important to us. I know some people, when they try to envision what's heaven going to be like, right? they instantly go to this thought that maybe was planted in there from somebody, or maybe it's just a manufacturer, of, in a, or maybe put there by the cartoons of, say, the 80s, where heaven is a bunch of people with wings sitting on clouds floating around and God's there. Right? And you don't do anything but worship God. Now, while I happen to think that worshiping God would be enough for me, right, and all-encompassing, we see evidence that God has made us to do things. Right? And he allows us to do things and he works through us. So there's no expectation that that will stop when we go. But anyway, here, he's highlighting those two pieces. Which one of those calling is better? I'm glad nobody's shouting it out, right? Because it really doesn't tell us one's better than the other. Right? Both of them are needed to live. You've got to work the ground, right, to eat and sustain. And then you have this flock that's being tended to, 
right? There's meat. There's clothes that need to be made as part of it. So what we see here really is that although their employments were different, they were both needed to live, and the sons contributed to the family, and they worked to live. That's an important thing. Right? There's no government welfare system here, and I'm not going to go down with a lot of uh, you know, talk or commentary about that. But we can see God designed us to work to live. And that work gives us some satisfaction and gainful employment. Now, Abel chose the employment which most befriended contemplation and devotion. Now, that's according to Matthew Henry, one of the well-known commentaries, right? I'm not exactly sure right where that goes because I've heard other people. But if you think about that, there's some right, righteous there, right? He can tend to those sheep. And certainly we have examples in the Bible that have come afterwards who were also shepherds. Right, let's think about that, right? David was a shepherd. Right, the good shepherd, Jesus. Right, we have a type of that. Who did the angels first appear to to announce the Lord? Shepherds. Right, so we see, no matter how the Jews might have thought of shepherds as a dirty, nasty right job, you see some acknowledgement or some nod towards that profession. Also, I think it's important for us when we get into the sacrifices to note that both of these type offerings or sacrifices are mentioned in Leviticus as acceptable type sacrifices. Interesting, right? I'll go on a little bit more for that. So verse 3 tells us, in the course of time, the phrase can mean a lot of things, but most likely, it just means at the right or appropriate time. So let's think about that in the course of time. When you read that, what do you think about? Just time passing, right? It's not the fullness of time, which is another phrase you'll hear a lot in the Bible, right? Which means it's the perfect timing, everything is right. And the course of time kind of means after a while. The connotation here in the after a while is that when they were ready to do this themselves, they did. Right? It's almost a rite of passage in that first family if you think about it. Now, one of the things that's interesting is some scholars interpret that and say, well, they were likely 16 to 18 years old. Right? That age that we widely think of as being able to decide and choose for yourself truly. Right? There's a legal term, Lance will love this, right, called consideration that says you have the ability, right, at that point in time to actually legally bind in contracts. I'm sorry, I'm mixing that up. That's not consideration is what you're actually exchanging in between there. But basically, it's you have the right of consent at that point in time where you literally have the ability to make a decision for yourself and it to be legally binding. That's what I think is a little more close to it, although some people say, Hey, at the time that this account took place, Cain and Abel were as old as 100 years old. Remember, they lived a lot longer back then, right? Sin hadn't fully taken shape. So whatever the case, if you were taught that they were two young boys, that's probably not right. Right? Okay. Then we go on, though, and we see in this verse 4 and 5 that God had regard for Abel's offering 
but he disregarded Cain. So why? Let's think about that a second. Proverbs 15.8 tells us that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So you could go there easy, right? We know the end of the story beforehand. We know that Cain turned out to be wicked. So one of the main reasons why the sacrifice was not accepted could have been because of the person who was doing the sacrifice. How about next? We go elsewhere in the Bible for some clues. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though, he died. He still speaks. So what's that telling us? There's a faith component to that sacrifice. Faith what? Faith in what? Was it a modern technology type faith that I know my sacrifice is going to work? Right? I believe it, therefore it is true. That's postmodernistic thinking. Right? I determine my own reality. Yeah, that's not biblical. Right? So it's not believing in his sacrifice in and of itself. There had to be a faith component, something he believed in that told him, I can be assured that this sacrifice will be acceptable. Can we agree to that? Okay, let's go on a little bit. 2 Corinthians, another place of clue, says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Right, and we see this held up. So we think about that a little bit. And one of the things that is different is it mentions the first fruits. Right, when it talks about Abel's sacrifice. So what is this first fruits aspect really simulating? The fat of the ram right, that's brought in. The fat to us may be something that you trim off the steak right, and you cut away and leave. It wasn't to them. It was the best portion. And some of you say you can't identify with that. You haven't had a $300 Wagyu steak. Right? Japanese A5 Kobe. If anybody's ever had it, amazing. And the main reason why it's amazing is they specifically breed these cows to have a lot of fat throughout their meat. So there's all this fat veining, and when you eat that meat, it just melts in your mouth. Right? That's what they're talking about. The very best of his crop is something that Abel presented. Now, you only do that if your chief aim is to please God, right? You don't just bring to him what you're going to bring. You don't walk through it because you were told to do it and you're doing it out of obligation, right? Abel, we can infer from the text, his aim was to please God and he was holding nothing back. He brought it all forward. But let's take a look at Cain a little bit. So as we go further, regardless, we were told that God regarded Abel's sacrifice and disregarded Cain's. And what was Cain's response? He got angry and his face fell. Got to ask you something here. Unlike Seth's joke, right, of how long was he able at, who is Cain angry at? 
The easy one's Abel, right? The easy one to say, why? Because we're jealous in nature as part of our sin, right? We want the best for us. We're selfish in nature. We want to be the number one. You can go on and just extrapolate and say, well, Cain was always the number one. He was the extra, right? Why is the extra getting it? Here's the firstborn, the one of the possible child of promise who was probably treated differently from his very birth, right, all the way through. The firstborn of all of Adam and Eve's children that they would have had during those hundreds of years, right, populating the earth. Everyone looked to Cain. And then here, when he goes to sacrifice for God, his sacrifice isn't even looked at. I think there is a, a part that you can infer about him getting indignant, right? But even in that indignancy, who would he be angry at? Who's he really angry at? God. He's angry at God because God did not accept his sacrifice. Right? Yeah, he could be angry at him too, but this was not a crime of passion against Abel. Abel's murder is a crime of passion against God and God himself. And take a look at our Lord. Take a look at his mercy. He knows what's hap going to happen. He knows what he's going to choose. Right? Look what he says. Cain, why are you angry and why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin's crouching at the door. He's given him a chance. Right? The Bible tells us God wishes no one to perish. People perish completely of their own volition. Don't let them tell you otherwise. <laughs> right? God's giving him a chance. God's reaching out. God's caring for Cain, this wicked person. And why would he mention, too, if you do well, you will not be, right, will you not be accepted? Do what? Do well, do well. What? You know, that well should lead us back to the original dilemma. Why was Abel's sacrifice done well and Cain's was not done well? So we looked at, like, the motives behind it. We can see where that is. But he's not saying with the thoughts. He's just saying done, do. There's some action associated with it that Cain did that made it not disregardable or something not even to look at. I think you have to think about this. God doesn't leave the boys alone to determine how and when they would sacrifice. They would have learned it from their father who was taught about sacrificing by whom? God himself. God himself taught man how to sacrifice. God himself showed the first sacrifice. Turn back in your Bibles again, right back there to that Genesis 3, 21, right? And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, before you leave this, let's get the real impact. These animals, Adam named. What animals do you name personally? Pets, right? How do we treat our pets? Like family. And you love those pets too, don't you? Right? Now, could you imagine God in front of you 
taking your pets that you named and killing them. Blood and everything, the pet that you love, slaughtered. And then giving you their skin to be your covering. So you get to wear it for the rest of your days, your beloved pet that had to be sacrificed because of the mistake you made, that died. That is how serious God takes sin. Right? Sin is nothing to be messed with. Sin is not something, oh, I'll just turn my head. Right? As long as you love God and everybody loves God and you love some idea of God, we all end up in the same place. That is not what the Bible teaches. There's no indication of that. Right? God is very specific when he deals with sin. And he says a life must be lost because of sin. The wages of sin are death. There's no way out of it. And it's either yours or someone or something else's death, right, that will cover you. Now, where do you think God taught Cain to sacrifice? Where do you think Cain would have sacrificed? Where Adam sacrificed, right? We can say that. Where would Adam have sacrificed? Anybody? How about as close to that Garden of Eden as you possibly could? What happened in the fall to land's cover? They were separated from God. Did you notice, though, in this passage, God still seems to be talking directly to them? They can hear the voice of God, and although he's not limited by proximity, it's important for us as we're studying this to understand that. Most scholars believe it's very logical Adam would have set an altar right before that flaming sword and the cherubim that was set to guard it, right at that entrance, and God would have spoken to them right across the separation through the flaming sword and through the angel. So these boys would have seen, these men probably at this time, would have seen that sacrifice go on and on and on over and over and over again. Right? Every time Adam wanted to talk with God. Every time Adam longed to be back in the garden. Would have happened right there. So what's the problem with Cain's sacrifice? He was taught over and over and over again exactly how to sacrifice. God had a purpose for that sacrifice. We knew that life had to be lost. Does fruit, does wheat have a life be lost? No. Is it an acceptable offering in Leviticus? Yes, just as an offering to God, right, to show that you're pleased. Is it a sacrifice acceptable to God to bridge the gap between God and man. No. Not even close. So here this happens. Right? Cain goes off on his own, decides this is the way I want to sacrifice, and I'll sacrifice from my labor, right? And give God what I want to give God. And then, right, God warns him, and so Cain repents, turns around, makes sure he gives the right sacrifice. What does Cain do? He entrenches. How many times have you and I done that? 
probably more than you can count, probably definitely more than you want to admit. Right? God will give you all kinds of warning signs. He'll put them in your life. You'll hear reactions from others. You'll get the feeling from the Spirit. That usually happens first. Right? If you've given your life to God and you're heading in the wrong place, man, that Spirit cries out in your ears right away. And then what do you do? You start, like, not listening to them because you put your ways up first. Right? And pretty soon that sounds a lot fainter. You're a little bit further away. Then you can keep telling yourself other things. You blow past all the warning signs. You're going to make this stuff happen yourself. Cain, this man who was to be the child of promise, or they thought was, they couldn't have been more wrong, right? He wasn't a, a son of God and a God of, uh, and a man of promise that way. He was an example of how pervasive sin affects people. He's only one generation away from Adam and Eve, the perfect man and woman right before the fall. The ones who worked in perfect harmony with God is probably the best way for me to say that, right? Without sin at one time in their lives. And here's this person so radically, right, just dunked in the sin of their parents that he commits murder. Let that sink in a little bit. Wow, but I thought they were like these little sins and I could white lie and not going to hurt me. Oh, no. Right? Everything you are can be affected by your sin. So did he heed God's warning? No. Did he take the chance to redo? No. Did he resist the sin that God warned him about? No. Cain spoke to his brother in the field. And I love that they say that, right? Cain spoke to his brother in the field. Kind of tells you again, he didn't lure his brother to the field. Right? He didn't trap his brother, come up on his brother while his brother was watching the sheep. He spoke to him. Abel had nothing to fear. Right? I'm going to speak to him. How cold of a killer is Cain? I'm going to speak to my brother. I'll just speak to him. Right? The barbary, the violence, the horror, the audacity, the utter evilness of this first act of murder is almost unfathomable when you think about it. Not only was Cain impacted by that sin, but he preferred it. He reveled in it. He decided it was going to be his way. So what are you and I to do about this? We have that. We have that in us each and every time. We have that as part of us. Well... Like the sacrifice that God taught Adam and Eve, right, we can forward ahead many thousands of years and understand that the first thing that's important right, to God is obedience rather than sacrifice. You're not doing it your way. You're going to obey God first. Now, what do we think? But I'm sacrificing. I'm suffering. When I suffer for God, right, that's such a great thing. No, that's conceit. That's Cain, right? That's you measuring what God needs or wants, right, through that. What God needs from us, right, or through us, you're doing and assigning to your own intellect. Obedience rather than sacrifice. 
for those who might want to go look into that more, go to 1 Samuel, right, verse 15, I think it's like 22, and it says exactly that. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically says that obedience is greater than sacrifice, yea, even greater than the fat portions of the first ram. Jesus tells you straight up, right, obedience. We're told, offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Obedience, right? Be obedient to God. Now, there's many ways, and I don't want to speculate too much, but when it comes to worship and sacrifice and obedience, right, what did God tell us for our Sunday services? He said, don't forsake meeting together. Right? He told us to come together, right, about them. And those of you at home, if you're at home because of something that came up, Right? I'm glad you're here with us. If you're at home because you, you would never come to church regularly and this somebody just told you to go watch, that's in God's purpose for you. But if you're at home because you're going to decide the way in which you worship and the way in which you come together and the way in which you do church, I'm going to say, look to this passage for a warning. Right? And think about that. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Now, there's only one acceptable sacrifice given for all time. At this point, I'll ask the worship team to make their way back to the stage for their last uh, song. So what are you and I to do? Right? We're not that far from Cain. Sin still affects us the same. Sin has always been the same. But there is something different. There's one acceptable sacrifice given for all time such that we can be reunited with the Father and present him with something which he will be well pleased. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Men will make up all kinds of ways to get to heaven. There is no other one name, Jesus. One name, one way. The narrow gate. Now this is going to be a little lengthy, but I really want you to understand and hear these words in the same time that we just went over the Genesis verses. Right. So Romans 5, 12 to 21, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, those little sins, who was the type of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Praise God. Right? For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
on. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We had no way. We were hopeless. You and I are hopeless today without Christ. Right? And here's God himself humbling himself to become man, to walk the perfect life, the firstborn lamb, the Passover lamb, the one who's going to be sacrificed, right? the beloved of God, sacrificed so that he can clothe us, so that we can survive and go back and be in communion and community with him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't know Christ in that way, maybe you've heard of him, today's your day. I'm going to say a prayer here in a second before this last song, and I want you to mean it in your heart. I'll pray the words for you. Right? But maybe you've forgotten along the way, or maybe other things came in your mind and just started changing your focus. Right? And your chief aim isn't to please God anymore. Your chief aim is to to go along and do all these other things you see is important to you and not just add it along with you? Well, maybe today's your day to make a U-turn right, for the repentance. So as I pray, you can mean this here as well. Or maybe you're just thrown to your knees and awestruck and you want to worship through this prayer that I'm about to pray quickly, right? And you just want to acknowledge God is your sovereign. He is your creator he is the one that you love, the one you desire, the one you follow after every and all day, and you cannot thank him enough. That also, right, is something worthy of praise. So bow our heads. Heavenly Father, my need for you was created before the beginning of time. And I acknowledge to you that I want to be obedient. I will sacrifice in obedience to you my life as a living sacrifice. I want you to control my life rather than me to control my life because you are my chief aim. I want you to be my chief aim. Father, will you come into my life? Will you be my Lord? Father, can I be your son and daughter? Father, I ask these things knowing in your word that you told us that you stand at the door and knock, and I can hear that. Father, you say that if anyone will open the door, you'll come in and you'll dine with them. Father, come dine with me. And Father, I know, I believe, and I trust that the only way back to you is through your Son, an acceptable sacrifice. And I accept that as my sacrifice and my covering. And it is for him and you that I want to live the rest of my life. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name.